0: I'm going to go to the Lord. <coughs> excuse me, right away in prayer to make the use of every moment. Please pray with me, would you please? Lord, you know every person in here. You know every atom on our on our in, that makes up our bodies. Every thought we think from afar, every freckle, every hair on our heads, every hair that used to be on our heads. You know every victory that we hold on to and find comfort in and every defeat that we seek to escape from. You know every moment of great joy. You know every struggle, every challenge. You know the core of our problems better than we do. And You know the perfect therapy for every perfect need. And I pray tonight as we study Your Word, Your Word would burst open and come alive for us. I pray, God, that You would genuinely help us, cause us to understand tonight, to not just understand, but to embrace Your truth tonight. That You would speak profoundly and bespoke to each of us. Profoundly us. That every one of us, our ears will be open mind to. Our hearts would be open mind to. And God, that we would have so much fun in Your Word. We would get it. We would truly get it. So Lord, as we work our way to Judges 2 and then go through Judges 2, Lord, help us please to do more than gather information for knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Make us people who love from this. And we see and we get it and we embrace You and Your glorious Word. By the power of Your Holy Spirit, lead us to the feet of Jesus, Father. And may we... Therefore, always stay. If there are any who have yet to understand or to know the offer, you give them at the cross. Let tonight be the night where they get it and they respond appropriately. Let this be the night of salvation. If there be anyone who is, but is not walking with you like they should, let tonight be the night you break through, God. Make it more than notes, mental or otherwise. Make it more than just assertions we can understand or grab a hold of, but really, Lord, put us on the table and perform the surgery you've ordained on each of us tonight. So immerse me in your Holy Spirit that I would disappear and come upon me so that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak to each one of us individually where we need to and corporately as a body. And Lord, I pray we would all walk out of here so encouraged and challenged and blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight is it would any please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible have the final say. So here we are, we're and we're on working our way to Judges two, but look at Deuteronomy twenty seven, verse one. This sort of sets the scene so we get sort of, if you will, the backstory working our way up to the situation then in Judges two. It says in Deuteronomy twenty seven, the uh Moses, by the way, think of this as a musical Moses is kind of giving a final song, and then he's going to climb a mountain and die. It's a beautiful drama. And his song is basically, if we could put it in the, the simplest words, it's, I told you so. When you do these things and bad things come upon you, I told you so. When you obey God and good things come upon you, I told you so. Joshua's going to take my place, and when he does, I told you so. When you get over into the promised land, it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you realize that's true, I told you so. And everything that God promised is going to come to pass. Therefore, I told you so. Now I'm going to go die. Guess what happens when I go up on this hill? I'm going to die. You know why? Because I told you so. And in chapter 27, God sets up this beautiful image. If you will, an appointment with God. Once they get over in the promised land, and he says in chapter 27, verse 1, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, and I'll go through this quickly, forgive me, because I want to make sure I get time for a proper text. (coughs) Excuse me. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land in which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones, whitewash them with lime, And you shall write on them all the words of this law, when you have crossed over. Notice there's no if, it's a when. That you may enter the land in which the Lord your God has given. You a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, And you shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and eat it there. Rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests and the Levites spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people to the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God. And observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Before I even go any farther, there's one kind of title he seems to keep giving himself. What is it? The Lord. Hello? Anyone? The Lord, your God. Moses is making clear this is not just God. This isn't just the Lord God. This is the Lord, your God. Take possession of this guy. Let him be someone you embrace. Let him say, this is my God. And then the moment you start doing that, you get more offended when somebody uses his name in a public place. Like, hey, 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 that's my God you're talking about. You make fun of someone. Someone makes fun of a girl. You know, you get a little uncomfortable. You might step in because he's being a little unchivalrous and being kind of stupid. But when he makes fun of your wife or your mother, you don't talk about my mama that way. Things change. You go, hey, 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 that's my mama you're talking about. Things change now because there's a possession to it. And that's what God says. I want you to do that with me. I want you to have that kind of attitude with me. And he goes, here's the deal. There's one mount, and the mount is called Mount Ebal. On that mount, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to take some whitewashed stones that you've washed with lye, and you're going to write on them then these commandments. You're also going to build an altar. By the way, we'll we'll learn later, at the base of the mountain. So, let's say you're Mount Ebal. At Mount Ebal, two things are going to happen. You're going to have the words of the law, and you're going to have an altar at the bottom. Does that make sense so far? Mount Ebal. Then it says in verse 11, and Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, "Thee shall stand on Mount Gerizim." So let's say your Mount Gerizim. By the way, the two stand in Shechem. That's what's the valley in between. So there's a valley here. Let's call this, this is the valley of Shechem. Your Mount Ebal, your Mount Gerizim. So what mount are you? Your Mount? Come on, this is easy stuff now. This is easy. I even gave you the answer. This is Mount. That was Okay, let's just see if this side's any better. Alright, we really need to start hooking up electrodes. On this side, you're a Mount Gerizim. Thank you very much. You're Mount Gerizim. And he says, here's the deal. These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you've crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. On this side, you've got six of them. They're all, all of these tribes are going to stand up on Mount, thank you, Mount Gerizim. Right. These shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. That's the 12 church. Uh, with the except, exception of the Levites. Benjamin has been split to two. With that, because he says, well, anyways." With that, it says, And all the Levites shall speak with a loud voice to all the men of Israel. So, this is what we have already. On the two mountains. This is the mount. Thank you. This is mount. Thank you. Because This is mount. I just, I'm telling you. All right. We need to start serving cappuccinos before service. All right. On this one, you get the law. On this one, you have an altar at the bottom. Which one of these two mountains are you standing on and blessing the nation? Gadazim. Maybe that's why you guys are like that, right? You're like, dang it. How did I get Ibal? See, I'm just, forget it. I'm moving over to the other side. All right. Now, so on this side, you're going to stand and bless the people. Interesting on this side. So this is the, the Mount. Oh, he's moving over to the curse side. All right. Um, On this side, this is the Mount of Blessing. On this side, there's the law. On this side, by the way, that's the law they're going to break. And there's an altar at the bottom. I find it interesting. The place of the curse is the place of the broken law. But the place of the curse is where at the bottom of it is where the altar will take place. That is fundamental. Fundamental. And so this is basically what happens. Then from 13, roughly, to the end of the chapter and then some, they'll basically say, if you don't obey, you're going to be cursed. And basically, let's put it, I'm going to put it in a really loose paraphrase. Basically, it'll go bad. And then if you keep disobeying, it'll get worse. And then if you keep disobeying, it will get worse yet. And then it'll be rotten. And then it'll be stinky rotten. Then it'll be dirty, stinking rotten. Then it'll be horribly dirty, stinking rotten. How bad does it have to get before you repent? That's your job. That's probably why you're so excited about it. Chapter 21, verse 1, look at it. 28, verse 1, look at it as we move to the next chapter. Is says it will come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth and all of these blessings shall come upon you, you, and I like this, and overtake you. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that you could get jumped by God's blessings? I mean, you know, you could think about getting jumped. We live in London. I know what it's like to think, oh, you could get jumped. But I don't know, the last time I was like, yippee, I could be jumped tonight. With God's blessings. God says, this is all I'm asking you to do. Follow me and obey me. Follow me and obey me. Trust me and obey me. And these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then from 2 through to 15, the idea is you're going to be blessed. You're going to get blessed, and you keep obeying. You're going to get blessed some more, and then you're going to get blessed some more. You're going to be blessed when you sit up. You're going to be blessed when you lie down. You're going to be blessed when you leave. You're going to be blessed when you come home. You're going to be blessed in your house. You're going to be blessed on your fridge. You're going to be blessed when you go out into the field and go, You're going to be blessed. For some of us, that means you'll be blessed, and you'll never step in a cow pie for your whole life. You're going to be blessed, but you'll have lots of animals. You're going to be blessed in your business. You're going to be, And so people love to obey. They love to grab a hold of the promise without the prerequisite. Oh, God just wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Oh, he wants to bless you. God wants you to obey him. That's your part. His part is blessing you. The one thing God doesn't want to do is bless you in a way that keeps you from obeying him. So, you, on this side, this is Mount of On Mount of what people are going to do then is you're going to say, look, if you don't obey, here's some curses. It gets bad, it gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. On this side, if you do obey, this is Mount... You ever seen if it's going to get good, it's going to get better and get better and better and better. It's going to get good everywhere. No matter where you look, it's like, oh, look, it's happy everywhere. I mean, your life's like a good musical. Your life's kind of like a Shakespeare tragedy. You know, <clears throat> and he, goes, he just keeps admitting. And the, and the point is, God wants to bless us, but he wants you miserable if you're running from him. So what happens then? verse 15, it shall come to pass if you don't obey the voice of the Lord, your God you shall to carefully observe all of his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you and then it's like curse 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 curse. Now notice it's kind of like this: don't do you know don't follow him and obey him, bad things are going to happen. No, if you do follow him and obey him, you're going to be blessed, 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 blessed. If you don't follow him and don't obey him, you're going to be cursed when you get up. You're going to be cursed when you lay down. You're going to be cursed in your field. You're going to open up your fridge and it's going to say curse, you know, which probably looks a lot like the word diet anyways so <coughs> it's gonna just be salads i'm just kidding sorry um you're gonna be cursed when you turn on the radio and it's always gonna be the songs you hate it's you know everything you do every, It's like everything's gonna be horrible and the purpose isn't to make you horrible the purpose is to show you that life really is hell without him so he says we have a date right that's the deal chapter 30 look at it with me we're almost we're almost to our point It says that in chapter 30, just so you see what happens with all of these nasty curses. Verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all of these things come upon you. The blessings and the curses which I've set before you. And you call them to mind among all the nations in which the Lord your God drives you. And you return. I'm sorry. And you call them to mind. And it says, and then you return to the Lord your God. And obey His voice according to the, all that I command you today, you and your children at with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that the Lord will bring you back from captivity, have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the nations and where the Lord your God scattered you. And if any of you are driven out of the farthest parts of heaven, to the farthest parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. In other words, it doesn't matter how far you're scattered, God can find you. And from there He'll bring you. Then the Lord your God will multiply you to the land in which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will bring you in. you will possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all the curses on your enemies that hate you, who persecuted you. And you will obey, again, the voice of the Lord to do all of his commandments, which I command you today. So God sets up this appointment. It'll take place, by the way, in Joshua 8 once we get into the Promised Land. But as the younger generation, and you know you're kind of going to go in, you know (coughs) sooner or later we're going to have this event. And I would probably imagine there's probably some bickering because they're people. There's some people on one side going, ha, 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 you're going to be on a ball doing the curses. And, you know, they'll be like, ha, 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 when I'm doing those curses, I'm going to be looking at you, right? I mean, there's, you know, you kind of get the idea. And the priests are going to be in between. And they're the idea of it. It's like there's this valley of decision. And you're going to stand there. And here's the deal. God says, look, I'm making promises. I'm making a covenant. This covenant goes two ways. It's not just one way. The covenant on this side is if you trust me and obey me, I'm going to bless you. Now, that doesn't mean you get what you want, but you will get better. On this side, if you don't want to trust me and you don't want to obey me, well, then these curses are going to come upon you. But ultimately, for the purpose that you will finally say, all right, enough. I've had it. So we finally get into the promised land. And when we get into the promised land, remember those stones? Well, we did a few things with stones. Matter of fact, the book of Joshua is all about ten stone monuments. And the first of them, we took these stones out of the Jordan River because the river was stopped. The Jordan was stopped at Adam beside Zerotan. And that's really important because Jordan means flows from judgment. Right? Adam means a man. The Zebaton means their distress. And Joshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, stops the flow of judgment at a man beside their distress. That makes sense. So we finally cross in. We get into the promised land. And what's the first place we set up camp? A place called Gilgal. Gilgal wasn't named that when we got there. Because I don't know if we'd want to actually be there if we knew what it meant. And ultimately what happens is when they get there, it becomes the place of consecration. We set up camp there. And when we set up camp there, the generation circumcised. Because in the wilderness, they were not circumcised. And God knows, Joshua knows, if we're going to go into battle, our hearts need to be circumcised and we're going to make sure these men are set apart unto God the right way. So every, whatever we do in, every time I look at Gilgal, I always think that's the place where we set apart our hearts to God. When you know the story of Saul, The predecessor to King David, Saul, when the prophecies were made about him, ultimately he said, "When all of these things come upon you," when I can develop that, but but for when all these things come upon you, go to Gilgal. And I get it, God's like, I put a really great calling on your life. Now consecrate. When all of those things come and you go, whoa, God really meant what He said. Then get over to that place of consecration and get your heart right with God. Interesting. Saul becomes a guy with a great calling but no consecration. Do you know people like that? It's like you watch them and they're so gifted but they're just not willing to really set apart their heart to the Lord like they should. And the sad thing is, is you get confused at first because you still see God use them. The reason God uses them is to remind them, first of all, that there is a need for consecration, but also because he loves the people around them anyways. And the word of God is still the word of God. The gospel is still the power of salvation. I mean, truth be told, unbelievers could use the name of Jesus and crazy things can happen. We see that, by the way, with the seven sons of Sceva. Now, here's the point of it. (laughs) We went in. We set up this stone monument. The stone monument is where we took these 12 big stones from the river. And we set them up and said, remember when God did that really cool part the river thing? Kind of like the Red Sea for that older generation. We got our own cool little one. We got the Jordan going. And here's our, there's a monument there. Then we went and we circumcised the guys. And then when after everyone was healed, we're like, let's go and fight these battles. Let's go take the land. And then we get to chapter 8. And what happens in chapter 8? All right, you guys, now that we've taken the middle, and I think that's interesting, they took the middle area, they started taking the area ultimately where they will be available to set this up. And as they set it up, what happens? Okay, you guys, let's do our deal. God told us to do this. Joshua's like, look it, I'm going to hold my end of the bargain. And here's the end of the bargain. You guys get up on the hill. You guys get up on the hill. Levites, you kind of can stand right here. Okay, you ready? Okay, you guys go. Okay, well, you're cursed. If you don't follow, you're cursed. If you don't follow, you're cursed. If you don't trust and obey, you're going to, you're going to be cursed. Your life's going to get miserable. All right. And by the way, it doesn't just say your life will be miserable. It says God will make your life miserable. That's his promise. He loves you too much to not. So, on the other side of it, he goes, Now, you guys, now if you trust him and follow him and you trust him and obey him and you trust him and obey him, he's going to bless you. He does that. And the valley of decision in between is the place where you say, Now, which mountain do you want to live on? Which place do you want to, which hill do you want to climb? Yeah, but it's, a, it's an uphill climb. They both are. Here's the good news the one where the curse was, God knew that at the bottom of it was the place of total sacrifice because that's the story of Jesus where the broken law would be, where the curse was, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us and cursed us, he who hangs on a tree. God starts putting these things all together for us. and We realize, oh my goodness, Jesus came down. We didn't go up that hill. God came down, the altar was down there so that God could meet us at the curse and he could wash us clean from all of those things. Now God says, now that you're mine, which hill do you want to live on? Or might I say it this way, which hill do you want to die on? And so I look and I think, well... What part's my part? The part's trusting and obeying. That's it. And the reason I say that is, when they do trust them, we have the book of Joshua. When they don't trust them, when they climb up this hill, they get Joshua. When they climb up this hill, they get Judges. When they come up this hill, God brings victory after victory after victory. When they climb up this hill, they get defeat after defeat after defeat. So in chapter 2, this thesis statement, by the way, the end of Joshua, go to Joshua 24, now we're almost the Judges. At the end of Joshua's life, he sets that before him, if you will, one more time. There's this promise. Here's the thing. If God nails you in a rough time, he's keeping his promise. If God blesses you in your obedience, he keeps his promise. You can't expect God to keep his promise on one side and not the other. You say, well, you don't understand. I'm trusting God now and life's rough. How is it rough? Here's the funny part. You say, well, I'm being persecuted. People are being mean to me. Chances are people are being mean to you before that. You might just not have saw it. But here's the good news. For every time someone's persecuting you for righteousness sake, God is blessing you in heaven for it. The problem is, unless we look at it from an eternal perspective, we only see the temporary discomfort. But Paul would say that these light afflictions, temporary afflictions, are bearing forth a greater weight of glory when Christ is revealed. If I look at it from an eternal perspective, I realize that when people have a problem with me solely because of my love for God, There is a blessing in heaven awaiting me because of that. I say, well, oh God, you're supposed to make my life great. God says, I promised you a greater eternity. There's the benefit. Now, in chapter 24, verse 14, this is Joshua. Many of us are familiar with these verses. Joshua now is about to die. We started with this particular evening, if you will, with Moses singing his song and dying with the I told you so. And now it's Joshua's turn. And Joshua says, in essence, you know, we've got in. I'm going to die Choose your God. Choose your God. But there's something you can miss in it. In chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now, before we even take the next couple of verses in that, consider the fact what Joshua was saying. Joshua is aware at his death that people have gathered gods. They've gathered gods from Egypt, which amazes me. That means when God took everything down in that really cool Prince of Egypt story that we love, river, oh, river, we, we love that, and that whole thing's in shambles, you know. And and Ralph finds it. Oh, he's just so you know, his beautiful voice that just. Has to ultimately admit defeat by a watery grave. And all that still, after God takes down every one of their gods, they're like, I still should take a couple with me. For what? Salt shakers? What do you need them for now? But what's even worse than that, is as they've been traveling in the wilderness, they've grabbed a couple of souvenirs in the way there as well. And Joshua looks, and he says, hey, you guys... Remember what God said? Remember when we did that whole Joshua 8 thing where we stood on the two mountains and God said, keep, obey me? What's the one thing more than anything that could be disobedience? Of all the disobediences you can do, what's the greatest of them all? Serving another God. Turning your heart to another God. And he looks and goes, you guys, I've made my decision. You need to get rid of your gods. Get rid of your gods. Now, what is that? What's a God? What's an idol? Anything that takes the place of what only God can rightly do. Let me say that again. Anything that takes the place of what God can rightly do. What can God rightly do? Can you imagine what you say when you say, I need to have a mate because that will complete me? When it tells us in Colossians that you are complete in Christ. But if I don't, I will be alone. Could you imagine Jesus died to be with you and you're going to say that? No, look at you would say, Well that's easier for you, you're married. Hey listen, married guys do that too. I don't, by the way, the point is the peace, the joy, the hope, the love. Where are you going for that? What's your default when tough times come? Do you turn to him in prayer? Or do you run to the bottle? Where do you go? And Joshua looks and he goes, look it, I'm not going to be here to babysit you guys anymore. You're going to need to put away your gods because you're not going to get any farther than this. if This is what you're going to do. So he says then in verse 15, and if it seems evil to you, ra'a means harmful for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in which you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. You know the one thing that was missing and the rest of this whole thing is that nowhere do we ever read that the people put away their gods. They're like, yes, we'll obey God. We'll totally follow Him. We'll make this covenant. We're so in. Oh, come on, what do we sign. And can I say this? Please hear me. The biggest problem in walk with Christ, to be honest, is that somewhere down the line, we kind of think there's no sacrifice involved on our part. Now, truth be told, the price of salvation was paid at the cross. Jesus paid it all. But we have to pick up our cross and follow him. And there's something about this easy Christianity that's being sold today that really, I think, drives God mental. Remember how David, when he wanted to buy the threshing floor of Runa, and the man says, oh, come on, you're the king, just have it. And David says, one of my favorite lines in all scripture, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. I actually, have to, I do this a lot. I go walk on these long walks twice, three times a week. This week's been a little different, but, but I go through these long walks. And I go, when was the last time my walk with Christ ever really cost me anything? And I make myself a martyr over paper cuts. And Joshua looks and he goes, look it. God wants your whole heart. Because whether you know it or not, you have his. Aren't you thankful God's not given you part of his attention, part of his heart? Well, I kind of love you, but only this far. Now, the reason I say that is, is that what we're looking at then in chapter 2 of, <coughs> of Judges, and believe it or not, we're there now. Is that this very thing? That God keeps His promise when you climb the wrong hill. So in Judges chapter 2, look at it with me. We'll go uh, slowly through the few, first few verses and then we'll let it pick up. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Baalchim. The angel of the Lord, by the way, was the one who called Moses. In the burning bush in Exodus 3:2, it's the same one who created a wall of protection when they were escaping from Egypt, and Pharaoh's army was hot on their heels in Exodus 14:19. It was the same one that God promised in Exodus 23:23 and 33:2 that says He will go before you to drive out the enemies. And this new promised land. It's also the one, by the way, that the donkey saw in Numbers 22:22. And it's like the angel of the Lord knows. He's had first hand experience. He's been with this generation. He's been with the generation prior. He's the one who got him out of Egypt, and he's the one who got him into the promised land. And it's this particular angel. And notice he went up from Gilgal. Remember, that was the place of consecration. It's the place of the stone monuments that the men had done in Joshua 4, 10, It's the place where we first set up camp in the verse prior. It's the place where we consecrated in five nine. It's the place where Joshua encountered the commander of the Lord's army. And they went to a place called Bahim, This angel did. Bahim, by the way, is only mentioned twice in Scripture both times in this chapter. People say, well, there are a lot of people arguing over what place this is. But the Bible doesn't tell you. So I can tell you what it is. It's a place called Bechim, And That's how God wants you to know. And this angel says, I led you out from Egypt and brought you out of the land in which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Wouldn't you love it if God broke the covenant the moment we were disobedient? Oh God, keep your covenant when I'm good. Break the covenant when I'm not. God says, I told you I would not break my covenant. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. But you've not obeyed my voice. You've climbed the wrong hill. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, he's quoting in essence from Deuteronomy seven fifteen and 16, I will not drive them out from before you. They shall be thorns in your side, and their, their gods shall be a snare to you. You know what a snare is, right? It's more than just a drum. It's a trap. And It's the kind of trap that the more you struggle, the worse it gets. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept, and then they called the name of that place Belchim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now Belchim, by the way, if you will, means weeping. You might have that it means weeping. It means weepings plural because I am is plural, like cherub cherubim, means weepings. And notice it says in verse 6, Then Joshua dismissed the people and the children of Israel, each to his own inheritance, to possess the land. Wait a minute. Didn't Joshua already die? So God is reinserting in that end of the story of Joshua this situation. Do you realize what that means? That means when Joshua did that whole, hey, Choose for yourself whom you're going to serve as for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. Hey, You want to serve the gods of Egypt or the gods of the land you've gone through or the gods of the place you're going to now. You're going to have to make that choice yourself. I've made my choice. I'm going to die and I'm going to die right. That's how we get it in Joshua and that's how it ends. Now in the book of Judges, God inserts this. That Joshua wasn't the only person who spoke at that event. The angel of the Lord did too. You know what the angel of the Lord said? Why haven't you obeyed? I kind of get the idea when Joshua, remember that prerequisite, what Joshua said? Joshua said, well, then put away your gods. Get those things out of here. Those things don't belong here anymore. If this is my house, if this is my temple, I don't share. This isn't isn't like Baha'i. This isn't like the saintly salad bar. This is either all me or not me. Now, if you think that that's unfair, see how it works once you get married. Now, maybe you're kind of like ladies that you'd be like, you know, what's cool. I don't mind actually sharing some guy and I, I could be like Miss Tuesday. You know, we can have seven wives or something like that. Well, you know, I'm not into that. Like, one's enough. And There's no doubt. My wife, man, I'm more than enough for my wife. And when you married, it wasn't like you, you, when you want to get married, you, or if you are, you, you didn't stand there and go, well, you know what, you can have part of me, but I'm going to still give a part to someone else. That doesn't work. So is it unfair for us that God would say to us, hey, I want all of you because I love you and I want this to be a seriously intimate relationship. And it can't be intimate if we're doing this on a timeshare. So Joshua says, put away all those other gods. Look, you're getting married to this God. This God loves you and he wants to wrap his arms around you and he doesn't want competition and the people go, yeah, 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 that's exactly what we're going to do. That's right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be right with God. But they don't address that issue. <clears throat> and then the angel of the Lord shows up. When was it then? There, we don't know. But somewhere right before Joshua dies. And you can see the angel then kind of popping in after there and going, hey, 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 remember what Joshua said, that he'll kill your gods thing? What's up? You had time. Joshua gave you this beautiful speech. I mean, it's going to be on people's walls until the Lord comes back. We're going to wear it as shirts. We're going to get it on our wallets. We're going to get it as screensavers. We love that as for me and my house thing. Usually when you get married, it's one of the first things you shop for in a Christian home. You don't even know how profound that beautiful message was. And yet in all of that, why haven't you gotten rid of your gods yet? Really? You heard Him and you said yes. You heard Him and you nodded. and you're like, I'm in, I'm in, alright, I'm good. Then you went back, and you signed your contracts, and you did your thing, and you became a member, and you did whatever. You never did the one thing God asked about, the one thing He demanded, which was to give your heart over. You ever see that in a marriage? It's like they stood at the altar, and it was pretty, man. She had the beautiful dress, and he had the lovely tux, and it was cute. The guys did their thing. the They played something with the ring and ultimately he had it. And he said these beautiful flowery words of vows and she said these beautiful flowery words back and he lifted up the veil and they kind of sucked face there in front of everyone while we all applauded. And it was so beautiful and it was so precious. But somewhere down the line, the guy just never gave it all or she just never gave it all. She always kind of held back a bit. And you watch, and it's like, it's a fight, and it's a fight, and it's a fight, because someone keeps just going, Please, would you just love me? And they're like, Well, I am loving you. And they're like, Not enough. And you're like, How much is enough? You say, All of you. I don't want you holding out on me like this. Because I'm not holding out on you. And this angel goes, Hey, 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 what's up? How in, the, how in the world are you still holding on to this? God's like, I'm not holding on to anything, but you. Well, if that's the case, it's like I can't, I'll keep my promise. I promise you if you want to climb the wrong hill, you're going to pay the price. You want to do that, I'm not going to drive them out. And what God shows us is that the only reason why my life isn't totally ransacked is because God's been protecting me anyways. There's the rough part. So... <coughs> We see Joshua pass off and we see the product of that. Verse six. And when Joshua dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each into his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works in which the Lord had done in Israel. They had some form of personal relationship with God's great work. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old and they buried him on the border of the inheritance of Timnach on the mountain of Ephraim, because he was an Ephraimite, and the north side of Mount Gash. And when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose who did not know the Lord nor the work in which he had done for Israel. Please hear me now as we start to see the downward spiral of compromise. If you are tucking gods away. You may be hanging out with someone that's really strong in the Lord, and as long as they're in your life, they're going to be strong. You will be able to hinge on that, hold on to that, because to be honest, you're not going to take out that God in front of your godly friend. But the moment they pass off the scene, you're going to jump right back into the old thing. Because you have it tucked in your house already. You have it tucked in your heart already. You have it tucked away already. And that's the problem here in Judges. When the judge arises, we know life's miserable and they come and they help us out. But we don't bemoan the sin. We bemoan the circumstances that were birthed from the sin. We hate the consequences. But if all you hate are the consequences, the moment those things are lessened, you'll go back to the sin that caused them. And you see that happen over and over and over again, beloved. Joshua now is dead for a second time now. God's revised it, or I should say he's reviewed it one more time, reprised it, so that we could see that this angel threw this warning at us. And He goes, really, if all this is going to be about is you latching on to some godly person, and that's what you've got, you'll never be able to stand on your own, because you know what? Your legs are full of false gods. And they are no crutch. Joshua passes off the scene, and look at what happens in verse 11. By the way, this is what happens is you don't have a personal knowledge. Yada, same word that's used today. Anilo yada, you're saying I don't know in Hebrew to this day. Yada means do you have an intimate understanding, an intimate knowledge, and they have no intimate knowledge of his work. What happens when you cling to somebody else? What happens is all the power of God you see God do through them. You don't have that personal experience. You're kind of hanging on someone else's. That could be a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, or a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It could be your best friend. But when you take away God's, you immediately start cutting off that intimate thing between you and God. So now you to gotta kind of have to live vicariously through someone else. So what happens the moment they're gone? Verse 11. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served Baal's. The first time we read, they did evil in the sight of the Lord of seven times in this book. Three seven three twelve four one 7, 1, 10, 6, 13, 1. Seven different times we're going to see that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. They bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now we're talking about the gods of the area they're living now. Please don't miss this. When this started, what happened is God was an addition. He wasn't the whole thing. He was an addition or the other way around. It all depends on where you started. You had this cool thing. What happened is you had God, but then you added something. Here's the problem. Adding something is the road to removal. You just don't see it. Or the road to replacement. You just don't see it. So what happens, you're like, okay, the beginning was just Jesus, man, Jesus. And then it's, well, the problem is we could kind of move to this weird area where it's like Jesus and something Christianese, like Jesus and the power of prayer, Jesus and the Holy Spirit experience, Jesus and the church membership, Jesus and, and what happens is it used to be so simple because it was just Jesus and it was so cool. And now it's like, Jesus, but where do you stand on this thing? Now, I'm not telling you don't have your doctrine straight. But what I am saying is it's still going to be all about Jesus because the moment your identity is Jesus and something, it's going to win. Sooner or later, it's going to replace. So you're not just Jesus anymore. You're a seventh day Jesus person or you're an eighth day Jesus person, whatever that is. Or, you know, you're a whatever. You're a kosher Jesus person or you're a Chinese Jesus person or whatever. You know, say, hey, we have a special church and it's Chinese Christians. And I'm like, awesome. I'm half that. Can I come half the time? And like the whole reason I say that is the moment you get your identity from more than Jesus, sooner or later it's going to compete. And you kind of try to figure out, look at, I go and I get to speak at places. I get to speak, and I'm just going to go right at the throat of this. I've, I've had the privilege in a couple of cases recently to speak at a very, in some cases, very predominantly black fellowships. And I've had people say, I can't listen to you. And I'm like, is it the way I talk? Is it the way No, no, I actually like the way you talk. You're just white. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and I'm like. I might, if my wife were there, she would be like, no, as much as you think. you know, but, but, but get this idea, though. There's somewhere in It's like, well, oh, my goodness. So the, the one thing that's stopping you, you're American, sort of, as much as I'm sort of white. And you realize that's what happens when we add something to it. All of a sudden, like, something disqualifies other people that all just are about Jesus. I really don't care what color you are. I think we all bleed the same color. And if we don't, one of us needs some help <laughs> or more. I realize as I look at this, they, kind of, they did this kind of God thing, but then they kind of, well, we can add a little God in here and a little thing here. And you know what happens? This is how we play it a lot of times. It's like Jesus saves us. He gives us eternity. But God, you know, he's going to do that whole religious stuff. But let's kind of separate that part of our life and then let's have fun. Fun's not God now. Fun's like elsewhere. And all of a sudden you start to realize it's like we just started inviting other gods into our life. I'm not telling you you can't have fun, but if you think that God is to be tucked away into some other thing and then fun is elsewhere, you're kind of missing the point of why it's through you're still living the day. If Jesus said that this walk with him is now life more abundant now, and it's life then how in the world am I looking at the other thing and saying, well, you know, and we do it in youth groups and we do it in all kinds of ways. It's like, okay, well, I have to have a Bible study because we're a Christian group, but then we can play dodgeball for an hour. And it's like, and the kids get that. And there's nothing evil. Well, I can't say it's not always, but there's nothing evil normally about dodgeball, unless I'm playing it. But I can tell you this, somewhere down the line, there's no area God doesn't touch. If there's an area God doesn't touch, it's like, stay away from the east wing. Well, then there's a God there. And God has to have freedom into that. So what if God took away your talents? What if God took away your brains? What if God took away your cutes? What if God took away your whatevers? Would you still love Him? What if God just took it away and then brought it back, but used it for Him? But They did evil. They forsook Him. They followed Him. And they bowed down. The word for bow down, shachah, is the word we use for worship. It's the Hebrew word for worship, shachah. You're going to worship something. You're never a free agent. And they forsook the Lord. That means they abandoned God to serve these other things that they kind of just added on. The, anger of the Lord was hot. So what did he do, verse fourteen? He, he delivered <coughs> excuse me. He delivered them into the hands of the plunders who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of the enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And when they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them. You're fighting against God now. You're not going to live well on that hill. No matter how long you want to disobey, you're not going to live well there. David says, When I remained silent, my bones grew old. My vitality was dried up like the drought of summer. The hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, He's keeping His promise. And as the Lord had sworn to them, they were greatly distressed. Why? Because despondency breeds dependence, and wretchedness ultimately can result in repentance. Repentance. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of those, the hand of those who plundered him. Because that's what God promised. Now, listen what happens here. It's going to bounce back and forth. We're going to keep going back and forth on these hills. Their life was miserable. Nevertheless, this is what God did. He delivered them, anyways. Verse 17 Nevertheless, yet they would not listen to their judges. They played the harlot with other gods, and they bowed down and they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandment of the Lord, they did not do so. Do you see how we're bouncing back and forth? And It says then in verse 18, And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge to deliver them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. The Lord was moved by pity, by their groaning, because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. By following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their own stubborn way. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, as he said, Because the nation has transgressed my covenant which I have commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, well, I'll no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. So that they may so that I may test Israel Whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Conflict will always show conscript. Conscript is who you can sign or call up in the battle. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them out of the hand of Joshua. Now, there's something <coughs> I read past a hundred times and I, I, or more. And, and you read through this and you, and you kind of know what's coming a lot of times. You kind of know the timbre. You kind of know where God's going to, what, what He's going to pull out, where He's going to kind of, and there's something that really hit me and I think it's because of walking with this team this week. And uh, it really, it really really hit me hard. And that was back in verse 17 here. And, and the reason is that you know, we, we're just, we're kind of numb to it now. We're kind of used to it. But you kind of know when you're going to walk by Chinatown or in Soho, there's going to be those open doors with the, the signs and, and you know what they are. Prayerfully, you know what they are by being told. But we've had the privilege of being able to minister to some of these, these ladies and a couple of the men. And you sit and you talk to them. Most of the people who we've met so far have been people who have volunteered for their position. Now not everybody has that story of course we're very aware of that. But they start out there's someone's daughter there's someone's little girl perfect and pure and happy and innocent and something drives them. Now, now granted we can agree that sometimes again it's they're completely kidnapped they're completely taken against their own will in horrible unhumane, inhuman, unthinkable things happen to them. Most of the girls we meet, that's not normally their story. Except Maybe, except this, they were their own kidnappers. Somewhere down the line, most of them, almost all of them, they got involved in some kind of drug. And it was a drug that took them. And there was a drug that they needed to the point where they were convinced no matter what the case was, they were going to do whatever was necessary to get it. So you start trading things in, swapping them out. So here's what, here's what happens. A beautiful little girl starts giving up her virtue, her honor, her worth. For some quick thing so someone can use her as a body product. And she has to make herself as best as she can for that product. So she cakes on the makeup to cover up the lines and the crying and the furrowed things that happen because of the sleepless nights. And she wears a lot of perfume, sprays a lot of anointing stuff all over her because she doesn't want you to smell the last guy that was on her. And she has to get loud and she competes with other gals. 2,000 years ago, they didn't just sit up in a room. They went after them. And they competed with other girls, much like you might see in a place like Chicago or Detroit. There were territories and they were very territorial and they fought over it. And what was interesting is the guy was nothing to them as much as they were nothing to the guy, but a quick moment to get what they wanted. And in the end of it all, She got her thing and it made her worse. And you know the tragedy because by the time you meet a girl that's been in that business for a while, you really kind of meet somebody that feels like they don't have a soul anymore. The part we forget is it isn't that you have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. But you learn to kind of shut yourself off. You, You kill yourself. It's like internal suicide to survive. And what you do is you just—you've gotten to the point where you would do anything for anything to get your thing. And the only reason I developed this at all because we don't think about it anymore. Is that's how God looks when we walk away from Him. And the moment that I saw that, I, 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 to be honest, it's affected me all day. Because I—I I mean, I—I. I, I, Because of growing up the way I did, I look at homeless people and I'm still amazed that I'm not one. I look and I think, but for the grace of God, that should be me. And the people that I knew were mostly people like that. Those were the people I knew as a kid. So I've always kind of looked and saw them as people, but people that were really, really damaged. And I just can't imagine God looking down. And what what does He see? You know what He sees? He sees us cheapening a beautiful, perfect, innocent thing, and he sees us kick on the makeup. We do that through good works, and now I've prayed more, and I've said more, and I've done more, and hey, I'm good now. Just like like Saul, right, when he had not killed all of the like, not finished the job he was supposed to do, and left King Agag, and he's like, I've done everything. I've really done everything, and and of course Samuel's like, What's the sound of these sheep bleeding in my ears? And he has to pass the buck to someone else. And you know how that is. You take on the makeup because now you're furrowing lines in your face and you can't look someone in the face anymore because to look someone in the face, you'd have to tell them the truth. But you can't even look yourself in the face anymore. And you look and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. But you're not even looking. You don't want to see that. You don't want to look and go, man, it's awesome to be a Christian. Because now you're just kind of playing the game. So you take this stuff on and then you cover yourself with other stuff because you really don't want the smell of these other things on you. And praise songs now become depressing songs. And dreams about God and about desiring to become like Him. It's not just really it's nothing like that anymore. Why in the world would you want a prostitute? And God looks and He goes, these people, they volunteered to become whores. That's what they did. Because they were married. And they were still under their father's roof. And they left them. He uses both metaphors. So a girl leaves the comforts and protection and provision of her father to run out there and say, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to make my own rules and this is how I can do it. And God looks at me and goes, do you even see what's become of you? I remember that one time when I'd come back from Torah, I was 19. I came back and one of the girls that I had known well as a kid, we'd gone to school together. And I saw her on the street, and I didn't recognize her at first. She was somebody that I really thought was really cute when I was like 10. (laughs) And then you look and you're like, oh my goodness, what's happened to you? Do you even see what's become of you? This is not at all what I could ever have dreamt would become of you. But you realize, this is how God feels about it. And how do I know how he feels about it? Because he gave us a whole book about it called Hosea. Which, by the way, you're probably aware of, means salvation. Couldn't pick a better name for this particular story. And the guy goes and he marries a whore. And he gives her every reason to stay. He covers her in love and affection and gifts, protects the house. But she runs out and goes whoring anyways, because that's what she wants to do. And sad as it is, she probably felt more free there. And finally, he goes back brokenhearted and buys her for half the price of a slave. What's half the price of a slave? Who do you buy for half the price of a slave? Who's left at that price? Like, you know, you're in trouble Back when they had CDs and you find your CD in the one-pound bargain bin, you know your band's not cool anymore. And that's not even remotely close to this. But that place where you realize these are bands at best that nobody remembers. A broken, used thing. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, listen, Hosea, now you know how I feel. But he lets him know that's after getting her too. Here's the difference. I never stop loving her. I never stopped wanting her. And the crazy part is, then I get to Ephesians and now we're almost done. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is what he tells us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. Past tense. That points to an event. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might wash her in the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, having no spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. God says, let me tell you what I do with my church. And then he says to every man that's going to get married or is, this is how you represent me. This is the role you get. You love them like I loved. Well, that points me to the cross. So what do I do? I crawl into her world. I die there to give her life. That's what I do. And what do you do then? Then I want to wash her. Why would I need to wash her? Because she's dirty. Why do I need to wash me? But that he might present her to himself. A glorious church. Without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. The end result is that this groom takes his bride by the shoulders, sanctified, sanctifier, sets her apart from every other woman and says, you're perfect. You're perfect. No spot, no blemish, no wrinkle. You're perfect. Could you imagine God saying that to you? Could you imagine God and you're going, but you don't understand. I've been unfaithful. You don't understand. To be honest, I've been more than unfaithful. I've been a prostitute spiritually. I've run after such wrong things. And I did it knowingly. Will you get me off this hill? And he goes, that's why the altar's there. My love, that's why the altar's there. Because on that altar, I'm going to die. And my blood is going to wash you clean, and my love is going to cover you, and I'm going to make you and make you and make you a new creation. Because it doesn't just say whoever came to Christ became a new creation, it says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Let me ask you a question. Are you in Christ? Are you? Are you in Christ right now? Then you're a new creation. Let me ask you another question. Are you in Christ right now? Then you're a new creation right now. Are you in Christ right now? You're a new creation. Why does he have to keep making us new creations? Because that's the only way we're going to stay clean. That's how much he loves you. And that happened at the cross. The cross said, I paid for it. The resurrection says, now you've got a new life. You're a new creation. So let me ask you a couple questions. One, have you said yes to that gift? Have you accepted that gift? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? He's dropped the knee, he's paid the price, all that's left is giving him permission to completely ransack your filth and make you brand new. If you have, let me ask you, how familiar are you with this hill? Are you there now? You know the problem is a prostitute can cover a lot with paint. And so can you. You can play the role. I could you could convince me. You don't convince him. And look, I, I, I want to pray, but I don't want to just run into prayer as much as I'd like to. I want to take a moment first and let God's Holy Spirit speak to us specifically, individually, right now. And I, I, I know if we were willing to listen, we would hear Him say, "I want all of you because I love all of you, and you have all of me." And then in that, could you imagine if we walked out of here saying? Goodbye to Mount Abel. Mount Baron, by the way. So, you know, from this point on, I'm going to follow you as much as I'm able, but I know to follow you, I've got to start by putting these things away. And maybe that means tonight, God wants to tell you this thing's done. This thing's done on your life. Whatever it is. You're playing with this thing, this thing, whatever. Or maybe this is a whole new thing and I want you to follow this now. But I want to walk out of here with only one God. How about you? Would you pray with me? Lord, tonight we've taken a look at something quite serious. We've looked at how you see people who wander off from you and what that looks like in your heart. I know it hurts. And I know in the end of it all, Lord, that what you leave then is battles. A compromised life leaves a place of weeping where there should be worship, and leaves a place of, of battles where there should be rest. But I don't want to walk out of here a sleaze spiritually. I don't want to walk out of here and say, God, you can have this area, this area can be sanctified, this area is holy, but this area you can't touch. I want you to have all of me. We sing it. So Lord, help us to see your completely cleansing, purifying love so we see what it is we're saying yes to. And as we take a moment of silence, I pray in this moment of silence, Lord, if there be anything that we've made a God that either needs to be reframed, restructured, or removed altogether. Would you just speak to us right now? And give us the joy tonight of being able to to say, I'm walking out of here with one God, my first love. So as we take that moment now, Lord, we just ask for you to speak. Lord, if there is nothing that we've heard, then may we continue just to walk completely and surrender to You. Lord, we gladly relinquish any and everything that we would call You the Lord our God. No, the Lord one of our gods. And tonight, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or tonight you just want to renew those vows with Him, I want to pray this prayer and I ask you to listen, and at the end I ask you to give a confident resounding Amen and what you're saying is I agree, let these be my words. And here's the prayer. God in heaven. I'm I'm so in need of you. I am filthy and I'm broken. But you want me anyways. And I'm tired of living this life of misery and emptiness, of shallowness, behind painted faces and pretense. And tonight, I say yes to this gift of Jesus Christ at the cross to pay for all of that. And yes to His offer to make me a brand new creation with Him as my Lord with Him as my architect, with Him as my builder. I hand myself over to you and I ask, if this is all true, then do it, please. Wash me completely. Make me yours. As I surrender myself to you completely. Become my God, please. I acknowledge Jesus' death for me on the cross. Just like Scripture promised on the third day as His resurrection and now I say yes to that offer. Cleansing. And redemption and Lordship. He's mine now. I confess Jesus is my Lord and I'm yours. So here I am. Do with me now as you promise. Keep your word in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. So, Lord, give us that restored joy that David had when his sin was relinquished. That tonight we would walk out of here single-hearted, celebrant, and abounding in joy, just like You promised. In Jesus' name, Amen. Beloved, thank You for the privilege of being in the Word with You and for the honor of being your pastor. Now, go be a blessing for each other.